listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. All right, today our reading is from Matthew 1, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. There you go. Had to fix the battery. We're good. You guys good? Awesome. Um, so glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Samir. I have the honor of being one of your pastors. Uh, it's been a joy just being a part of this ministry for the last year and a half or so, just seeing God move in our community. Uh, the beauty, don't you guys love the stage? Isn't it awesome? What God is doing here has been such a, such a joy. The band sounded amazing. You guys... Killed it. That was awesome. I felt God so present with us. Um, I'm excited to jump into our Advent series, our month of December, where we anticipate the coming of Jesus as King. Uh, It's such a joy this time of year, and I absolutely love it. Uh, Our series is called, as you see it up here, which is a cool little touch to our stage decorations, As We Wait. As We Wait. That's kind of the heart of Advent, as we wait, as we anticipate the coming of the King Jesus as a baby uh, to liberate and to save us from our own sin ourselves. So it's been a joy uh, to be able to come through this Advent series with you. And so starting it off, kicking it off today. So I want to pray for us. Today is really going to jump into the origin story of Jesus when it comes to his lineage, his, his, his genealogy. A lot of us tend to skip over this passage in scripture, but it's essential. And we're going to talk about why, why that is. So let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into it. God, we thank you for this time of year where we get to celebrate, we get to remember, we get to anticipate, and we get to advent uh, your coming, the the joy of the anticipation of your coming, that you came and that you will come again. God, we, we rejoice together as your church, as your people, as your family. We, we are grateful for your word that teaches us and guides us and leads us back to your son, Jesus. Lord, we, will you be exalted? Jesus, will your gospel be proclaimed? May I be less so that you can be more. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So genealogies are important. I know in American culture, it's not always necessarily a big deal, uh, but it's huge. It's, it's a massive deal. I don't know if any of you have done the 23andMe or Heritage. Has anyone done that before? If you have, 
Yeah, just like two. See, I told you it's not a big deal for most people in America. Um, but the reality is it is a big deal. It's essential to who we are as people, to, to know our ancestry, to know our genealogy, to know where we have come from. Uh, my, my sister, Crystal, was able to do a genealogy test, so I thought if she did it, I don't have to do it, right? It's all the same. So she shared it with me, and it was amazing to see just the reality of like my history going way back and how connected it is to the region, um, really where Jesus was born and lived and and all of that, right? So it was 99.5% in the region of Palestine. So I was like, whoa. So it's like between Lebanon and Jordan, that whole area is 99.5% where my lineage goes all the way back. Um, And so to me, prior to 2008, when I was growing up, I, I didn't really think anything of it. But after I started really grasping more of my roots, who, who I am, where I've come from, my identity really started to take more shape into who I truly am, who I am and, and why God created me. Something that's interesting about our lineage, our story, is that our last name actually goes all the way back to the original church. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the name uh, Tabitha in the book of Acts. Uh, so if you've read the Bible and Tabitha is in the book of Acts and her name is Tabitha in Arabic it's Dabita, which our last name is Dabit and it actually goes all the way back to her, uh, our name. And so our lineage is all Christian all the way back um, to then. And it's a big deal. Like to me, I'm like, I didn't think of it as anything. My dad would take me to Jerusalem and to where he grew up and walk me around and be like, hey, this is where, you know, we used to go play hooky, right? We used to, the Springs of David. I'm like, what? You know, or like, hey, we used to walk this road all the way to, to school every day. And it was the, the road of Via Della Rosa where Jesus walked uh, to the cross. And um, things like that really started to shape me and, and to really grasp my roots uh, as an Arab boy that really didn't know his Palestinian roots and history. Um, and so as a Christian, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal for me. And really, in the, in, in, the, in the light of who we are as people, I would encourage everyone to really look into their lineage, to look into their genealogy, to look into their story, because the reality is a lot of our story really affects who, and, and who we are today and why maybe sometimes we struggle with certain things in our life. So sometimes our lineage goes back to like our sin, our brokenness, our hurting that we struggle with now and today that we don't recognize really connected to some of our story and that the reality is that the redemption of Jesus covers all of it the redemption of Jesus covers our story in the same way that that's true for us that's true for Jesus in the same way the lineage of Jesus the story and the people that came before him matters because it affects not only who Jesus is in his identity but it affects us in our identity that's a big deal That's a big deal. So hopefully next time we see this passage in scripture, we don't look past it and just skim through it, but we actually read it with intention. And so I want to actually read it with that intention. And so hopefully I set it up enough where you won't be bored as I read it because it's a lot of names. All right. So it's 17 verses. So Tracy graced us to just read the last one. But I'm going to read all of them. Uh, and, and again, if I'm, while I'm reading them, look into, uh, oh, I recognize that name. Well, I don't know who that is. Um, just kind of thinking through it. And as we go through the sermon, uh, you'll, I'll point out a few and hopefully bring it all together. To how does this matter to us? Why is this important? All right. So you guys good? You guys ready? Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Let's read that together. 
beautiful. Let's do it. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. I love that Matthew starts it like that. He wants you to understand this is the Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Noshan. Noshan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, that's important, we'll get to that. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. This is good stuff, right? Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Ab. Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathon. Mathon was the father of Jacob. We're still good? We're there? Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above included 14 generations from Abraham to David, and then 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Wow. Why would Matthew detail such a genealogy? Why is it? Why would it be so important that it's in the scriptures, the holy word of God? Matthew's genealogy, it may seem like a list of names, but it's a roadmap to identity. It's a roadmap to understand our roots and shapes how we perceive ourselves and the world around us. In this lineage, we find stories of faith we find stories of flaws. We find stories of unexpected inclusion that can also mirror our own journey of who we are. Genealogy is important to the Jewish tradition. It's essential. They did it all the time. They talk about it all the time. Even to this day, it's very, very essential. It defines their identity. See, who Jesus is matters in light of his genealogy. It is revealed through all of these weird names. See, if we don't understand the history and the context of the Bible, we will be confused. 
we don't understand the history and the context and the lineage, we will be lost in understanding who we are in the light of who God is. See, the Bible, a lot of the times we hear, is the basic instructions before leaving earth, but I actually condemn that understanding because that's not what it is. It is not the basic instructions before leaving earth. It is the story of Jesus. It is the story of the Messiah. It is the love story of God Almighty coming to save the people that he created and loves. That's why if you just open the Bible up and try to figure out what should I do with my life or just open it up into a story in the middle of anywhere and try to figure out what it's trying to tell you, you will be confused. You will be unsure of what it means if we don't grasp its origin, its lineage, its truth. So Matthew starts with the genealogy because he knows his audience and the context that he is in. He's speaking to the Jewish people in the writing that he wrote here. They will be, and he knew this, they will be amazed at what Jesus' lineage is. They will be in awe of the lineage of Jesus. This is why he wrote it this way. Because the genealogy of Jesus points to the evidence, points to the proof that God is with us. Points to the proof that the Messiah, that the Jewish people were waiting for forever to come save them. That he is here now. Points to the evidence that he has finally come and that they should be aware of his coming. This is essential. They've been waiting a long time for the promised Messiah and he has come. The reality is, and that's interesting, is that the genealogy, and I'll get to this, displays names that most people would not have pointed to who the Messiah was going to come from. That's a big deal. So the big idea for the readers of that time and the big idea for us right now and today is this. This is our big idea for today. Jesus is the past, present, and future hope of our story. Jesus is the past, present, and future hope of our story. How is this? Why is this? How does it go all the way back to Abraham all the way to today? How is it impacting us? How is Jesus' story the hope of our story? First reason is that hope, there's hope in the promise. There's hope in the promise. The promise was given to Abraham. The promise was given to Abraham. That's why Matthew starts with him. What was that promise? What was that promise? Let's look back to Matthew, I'm sorry, to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, of what was the original promise that God gave Abraham that we hold on to still today. Let's read that together. This is the promise Abraham was given. The Lord said to Abram, first off, his name is Abram here, but he changes his name to Abraham as a point to display the, the, the obedience of Abraham that he changed his name and said, you are now mine. It's that whole idea of like name change is a big deal in scripture. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be, you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. This is, this, this is the key. This is the promise right here. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the promise. What does that mean? How will all the people on the earth be blessed through Abraham? What does that mean? The reality is, this is where it comes to why this genealogy is essential. The blessing to all the earth comes in the lineage of Abraham. and His name is Jesus. He is the forefather, Abraham, of Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus is the Messiah and the king of the world. He came to fulfill the promise that all the nations, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through Jesus, through him, through the lineage of Abraham. How is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? How does the lineage of Abraham, how does Jesus fulfill a promise that all the earth, all the world will be blessed? Paul is in a scene in Ephesus where this is the question that many were asking. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. There were people that said, hey, we're the Jewish people. We're the people of God. Follow our doing. Follow our way because we are the people of God. And there were the Gentiles that were like, I believe in the Messiah. I want to serve him and love him and, and live for him because I believe it's true. And there was this tension between the two. And Paul goes on and says what I'm about to read. He helps them understand the promise of Abraham is not for the Israelites only. It is for the world that Jesus has come. This is what, this is in the Bible. This is amazing. Let's read this. Ephesians 2, 11 through 14. So then remember, he's reminding the Jews and the Gentiles of what it says in scripture. That there was a time where you Gentiles are in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcised, which is the, un, the, the people not of Israel, by those called the circumcised, by the Israelites, right? Which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded you from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. What promise? The promise of Abraham. Without hope and without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you were far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. There is no more Jew and Gentile. The people of God, the people of Israel, the people are all who come under the blood of Jesus. This is the promise. This is the truth. That the promise that was given through Abraham is the promise where Jew and Gentile can celebrate their unity in the Messiah as Jesus is their Lord. That the promise where Palestinian and Jew can worship together. The King of Kings has come. Where Jesus made peace possible only through him. That's why we never lose hope in what's happening in the world. 
that a Palestinian Jew, not a coincidence, that that's the case, came into the world to break the wall of hostility, to unite people back together through his blood so that we can all worship the king in unity and in peace and in harmony. This is the hope we stand on. This is the truth we stand on, that the Messiah has come. And he is here. Because he died and he bore the cross that we, are, that we deserved. See, we, if we lose hope, then we reject the cross. If we lose hope, then we say Jesus never came and died for our sins, for the sake of unity and peace. So we stand firm on the hope that is in Christ and Christ alone. Not in a people, not in a nation, not in a land, but in the Christ Jesus. The people of God are his people. It's not a land. He made that very clear in his scriptures. Originally it was given a land for the sake of people to gather, but the land was demolished because of the sake that Jesus now resides in all his people. The people are the people of God. Not a land anymore. We have hope in the promise. This is the promise. The lineage of Jesus embodies a promise stretching across generations, reminding us of God's unwavering faithfulness to his people. This hope isn't confined to history. It's a promise that continues to unfold in our lives today and now for each and every one of us, sustaining us through any and all uncertainty. See, there's moments of life in grief that we all go through in this life. Grief or hurt or pain or uncertainty that causes us to wonder, is there hope? Causes us to wonder what is next. Causes us to wonder if God is who he says he is. The moments when we say to ourselves, man, this is not what I thought my life would look like by now. Or Man, this is just a hard day of parenting, of pain, of struggle, of financial figuring out how to do that. Whatever that scenario is in your life, those hard days can walk us into a moment of uncertainty and a lack of hope. But I want to encourage us today that the promises of God is our hope. That we can cling to hope in the promises of God. That he will restore all things back to unity and peace the way it was originally intended. The way he desires it to be. And there's glimpses of that in our time now. Like right here. So many tongues, so many nations, so many faces, so many backgrounds, so many lineages coming together to worship the king of kings. What hope that brings. That's why the local church is so essential to the world, to reflect this promise to the world. He's already started the work of this promise and he is faithful to complete it and he will complete it. 
So he made the promise with Abraham and we see God sustaining his promise through the path of more people in his lineage. How does that happen? What does that look like? So not only are we in hope of the promise, we are also in hope in the path. That's our second reason. There's hope in the path. There's hope from after Abraham, the stories and the lineage after Abraham. What does that mean? What we recognize as we read through, I'm going to hit a few of them. I'm not going to go through all of them because that will take us probably a whole week to do. But I'm going to share a couple of those stories. And what we see is that there is inclusion for all in this lineage of Jesus. That Jesus' lineage is also messy. It's messy. Just like ours. We all have those crazy uncles. We, we all have people in our lineage that we sometimes look at and almost sometimes assume that needs to be us. But the redemption is that Christ made us unique in him. That the lineage doesn't define fully who we are, but it does tell a story of where we have come from. So we don't have time to go through all of these, but I want to hit a couple of them to really help point out why is this important? Why is the path of Jesus' lineage important to who he is and, and, and who we are? The first one I want to point out is verse 5 where it talks about Rahab. Do you guys know Rahab's story? Right? She was a prostitute. She was in the lineage of the Messiah, a prostitute woman. Not only is this in his lineage, but we see in the, in, the, in the story and in the life of Jesus, he pursues prostitutes for the sake of their redemption. So there's something to it where, where, where Jesus desires to pursue the broken and the hurting and the lost. And then we see the story of Ruth. First off, Matthew mentions like four different women in the lineage of Jesus. This is abnormal in Jewish history. Like the fact that Matthew does this when the readers read, they're like, why is he mentioning women? That would have been almost offensive. But the reality is, is that Matthew did it with intention because he's helping us grasp that this is the point, that it's inclusion for all. So Ruth, in continuing that idea, not only is she a woman, but she's a Gentile. She was a Moabite woman. An enemy of the Jewish people. She was a people that was not a part of the people of God. But yet, through her lineage, through her blood, the Messiah came. That's a big deal. Jesus seems to not recognize division, but inclusion. And then we see in verse 6, the story uh, where it says... Uh, he was in the lineage by the wife of Uriah. You remember the story of Bathsheba? This is a fascinating one, right, if you haven't heard it. So King David, the king of Israel, the ruler of the biggest nation, the most powerful nation right there at that time. This guy that is after God's own heart. He sees a woman naked while she's showering and asks for her. To come so he can sleep with her. I know, it's crazy. And he has her husband then murdered so that he can cover up the adultery that just happened that he caused. 
And then he marries her. And then they have a kid named Solomon. And Solomon, yep, Solomon is Jesus' great, great, great granddad. This should astonish us, just as it did the people then. That this is the lineage of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the anointed one, the one that will come as God in the flesh to, uh, to redeem humanity as we know it. This is essential because it's an unedited genealogy that Matthew brings forth to help us point what is clear to Matthew and what is clear to us today. That Jesus came from sinners for sinners. He came from a lineage of sinners, but lived a perfect life to save and redeem sinners today. What amazing good news this is. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That through the brokenness, through the hurting, through the sin of humanity, Jesus still came as the perfect being and divine God. To retain and still sustain his perfection, his divinity, his, uh, uh, his sinlessness, his purity throughout his genealogy. As another reference to him being the Messiah himself that would redeem all humanity back. That he not only did that, but then he took on the sin of his lineage and the sin of the world, took it to the cross to kill it once and for all. Jesus came for the sick and the broken. That's why we need this perfect king. See, he came for you and me. He came for the world that is in need of healing and restoration. He came for us. I'm going to read continuing in Ephesians 2, the story where, or the, the moment where, where Paul is preaching this reality that there's no more division, it's unity and oneness in Jesus and his death. He continues in verse 16, he says, he did this so that he might reconcile both, both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. We're no more Jew and Gentile. It's the body, it's the people of God. Right? He came and proclaimed the good news of peace, of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners or strangers. If you are a non-Jew, you would have been known as a foreigner and a stranger to God. That you had no access to the God of the universe prior to Jesus. But in this moment, Paul is saying, that's no longer the case. The new covenant claims and proclaims the blood of Jesus that unites us all through the spirit back to the Father. So then you are no longer, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We are all his people. No matter your story, no matter your lineage, no matter your background, no matter your nationality, no matter where you've come from, no matter what color you are, that Jesus came to break those walls of hostility and division to unite them back through his blood. 
This is the truth. This is the gospel. If anyone tells you otherwise, just like Paul was telling the Ephesus people, if anyone is telling you otherwise, that is not the gospel. If anyone's telling you otherwise, that is heresy from hell. If there is a thought that there is division between God's people and because you're a different color or a different nation, that's heresy. That is false. So as we navigate life's complexities, we encounter the grace that extends beyond our perceived limitations. This is grace. God's grace. We didn't ask, right, to be redeemed, but we needed to be redeemed. And unknowingly, God came and made a way. This is grace upon grace and undeserved love. This inclusion for all reflects God's relentless pursuit of everyone, of everyone. He pursues us, especially the broken and the marginalized. In the messiness of our lives, there's hope for transformation through the process, through this path of of the genealogy of Jesus. It's powerful. You see, all of this truth of the hope and the promise and the hope in the path of the genealogy is not possible without this third reason that we have hope in the person we have hope in the person who is this person I mean I've, I've kind of mentioned them I gave it away a little bit right the writer of Hebrews also does a genealogy I don't know if you knew this in Hebrews 11 he does he goes off and it's great he gives his own genealogy of the faith and describes all of these fathers and mothers of the faith. And then he says this about them. These are all the ones prior to Jesus. All of these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised. Like what Brendan was sharing earlier in, in the Micah passage. They didn't see the promise that they were given. They didn't see the Messiah. Verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us so that they could not be made perfect without us. This is a big deal. That we, he's talking to the people then, but he's talking to us now, have the privilege to have been in the era and the time where Jesus has come. Where we have seen the promise. We have seen the person. We have seen the promised Messiah come. 12.1, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the ones that have gone before us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that is so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. This is the key verse right here, verse 2, 12.2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's hope in the person of Jesus. Hope is found in the person of Jesus, the founder, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. You see, faith in Jesus is essential. And hope without faith in him is not possible. There is no hope found outside of Jesus. And so this is important to to reference. Hope is not something that we just, man, hopefully one day that happens or not. I don't know. 
It's not a, it's not a wishful thinking that we might know it to be in our understanding of what the term hope means. The word hope that is used in scripture is hope is an assurance. Hope is a guarantee. Hope is a promise that is coming and that will come for sure. It's not a, it's not a maybe hope or it's not a I hope so one day. It's, it's coming, it's hope, and the hope is true and there's true assurance because of the person, Jesus, who did it. And he has come and he will come again. I'm going to finish with this last passage. King David is, the, is in the genealogy of Jesus, right? We saw that, and it's a big deal. It's not just a, a look by it kind of thing. This is proof and the evidence that Jesus is the eternal and perfect awaited king. This is the prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It's a, it's a Christmas prophecy that a lot of us use today, but this is a prophecy 700 plus years before Jesus even came. It says this. It says, for a child will be born... A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is an eternal king, forever, eternal. Jesus stands as the culmination of his lineage. He culminates this whole people group that Matthew draws out for us. A fulfillment of prophecies, the embodiment of kingship, an essence of hope personified in him. His life, teachings, and sacrificial love provide us with a model of hope that transcends time and circumstance. Transcends time and circumstance. Think about this. Over 2,000 years ago, these people recognized the hope in the person of Jesus. Today and now, we proclaim and preach the same exact gospel. The hope personified in Jesus. We all have a king. Whether you admit it or not, whether you know it or not, there is a king on the throne of your life. My question to you is, who is the king? Most of the time, we are the king of our own life. We, we want to make decisions and do things that make us what we think happy. And we, and I'll tell you this, we make horrible kings of our life. And you know what? It's hard being a king. Like, why not give the kingship of your life to the king who knows you more than you even know yourself? A king who was essentially from the beginning, knows all the world, was in the beginning, created the world, and he's saying, I want to be the king of your life. He's saying, I want to be the king on your throne of what you would call your life. And he is inviting you into his throneship, into his kingship. And I just ask that question, who is the king of your life? I would suggest and I would highly, highly encourage, make Jesus the king of your life. He has a better plan. He has a better way. He knows all things. 
And he will walk you. Not that it will be an easy road because this world is broken and corrupt. But that in the midst of corruption and brokenness, he will lead and guide and love you well. In the hope, let us hope in the assurance of the perfect king, the perfect God, who has come, who is here, and is yet to come again. So as we wait in this Advent season, may we fix our gaze, our eyes on Jesus, the past promise, the present path, and the future hope of our story, of your story. In the midst of life's uncertainties, let us anchor our hope in him, finding reassurance in his faithful truth, inclusion and embodiment of hope. As we journey through this season, through this Advent season, let our lives echo this hope to the world, longing and waiting for an eternal hope only found in Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you are the hope of the world. We thank you that you are the past, present, and future hope of our lives, of all of eternity, and all of the brokenness and chaos and unrest in the world. You are the hope. God, we pray and we shout and we cry, will you come, Lord? We need, we need you. For those of us that have not received you as their king, as their ruler, as their Lord in their lives, we pray for them, God. And I pray that they would pray where they are seated in their hearts, that they would receive you as their king. That they would commit to you as their king. That they would desire maybe even to be baptized as a representation of their allegiance to you. And for us that have surrendered to you as king, we ask you, Lord, help us reshape our eyes back to you as the great hope of our life. To reshape our eyes back to you as our essential glorious king that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of unrest, may you give us rest. May you give us your presence. King Jesus, will you rule over us? We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.